Welcome to the Life Together podcast. Life Together is a Wednesday gathering for worship, Bible study, and community at Discover Church in Oak Creek, Wisconsin. We hope that this week's message will encourage you and challenge you. Our mission here at Discover Church is to reach our world for Christ as we lead people to discover and become who God has created them to be. What is something you don't mind waiting for? I don't mind waiting for the dentist. That's something I can wait for. (laughs) I don't mind waiting for school to start because it means it hasn't started yet. So what is something that you don't mind waiting for? Because the truth is, is that everyone in this room is waiting for something. It really is the condition of our lives. On a daily basis, on a seasonal basis, on the basis of everything we do, we are waiting for something. I love what Dr. Seuss says from his book, Oh, the Places You'll Go. Has anybody read his book, Oh, the Places You'll Go? Great graduation gift if you're still needing one. He says, the waiting place is for people just waiting, waiting for a train to go or a bus to come or a plane to go or the mail to come or the rain to go or the phone to ring or the snow to snow. I wonder if he was from Wisconsin. Or waiting around for a yes or no or waiting for their hair to grow. Everyone is just waiting. The truth is that we are all just waiting for something because waiting is inevitable. It's a part of life. We wait to grow up. We wait on the weather. We wait for that job, and then we wait for a promotion. We wait for relationships. We wait for paychecks. We wait for events. We wait for medical insight. We wait for elections and roller coasters, and somehow they both feel the same. Then (laughs) we wait for the next football season, for text responses, and for retirement and transportation and that one person who is always at least 10 minutes late. If you're my friend, you have waited for me. (laughs) Even our technology recognizes the human condition of waiting. I'll give you an example. How about the three dots on your messaging system on your phone? Beep, 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 or on Messenger. Um, I mean, like, even when the Internet first started, we waited for dial-up connection. (laughs) We wait on Jeopardy. Will you sing it with me? We have theme songs for waiting. If you're on a Mac, you're waiting for the the beach ball that never stops spinning. And if you have like an old an old Windows, you're waiting for that egg timer to stop flipping over every once in a while. We have nonverbal cues of waiting. We see it all the time, right? And waiting can come uh, with a whole host of feelings. Waiting can bring this feeling of anxiety. Waiting can bring this feeling of patience. Waiting can bring excitement or frustration. And waiting can feel hopeful. And waiting can also feel like that twisting, gnarling of our hearts that just sucks the breath out of our body and wakes us up in the middle of the night, and the truth is that we all have to wait. This is something that happens without our control, without our permission, and we are bound in the confines of time and space and place, following the God who is not bound or governing by these laws, but in his sovereignty, he calls us and he plans for us to be in these waiting spaces for a purpose and for a reason. 
when the Apostle Peter sits down to write his second letter to the churches of Asia Minor, Peter is waiting. Peter is waiting his death on a cross. Peter is waiting to be martyred. He's sitting in prison under Emperor Nero, and he only has a short time left of his life. And in his wait, he pins the second letter to the church in Asia Minor, calling them to a place of meaningful waiting and telling them what they are to do while they wait. In these final moments of life, Peter pours out his heart and his soul. We're going to start here in verse 1. He writes, this letter is from Simon Peter. The first letter he wrote, he said, this letter is from the apostle Peter. In this letter, he goes all the way back to his roots, back to where he started. He said, this letter is from Simon Peter, a slave and apostle of Jesus Christ. I'm writing to you who share the same precious faith we have. This faith was given to you because of the justice and fairness of Jesus Christ, our God and Savior. May God give you more and more grace and peace as you grow in your knowledge of God and Jesus Christ, our Lord. Let's pause here and pray. Father, we love you so much. We love you so much. And we thank you that you are sovereign. We thank you that you have a plan. We thank you for your purpose. Help us to see your plan and your purpose and abide in it tonight. Father, I pray that you would awaken our hearts to hear what your spirit has to say to us, that we would grow and we would persevere in the waiting places that you've called us to. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. In these opening verses, Paul gives his blessings to believers that they might grow in their knowledge of God and of Jesus Christ. And I want you to notice his language that he uses in verse 2. He says it over and over again. He says, more and more grace and peace. This is abounding. He wants us to grow in knowledge that he has called you not to wait in vain. If you are to wait, you are not to wait in vain in whatever you're waiting for. In your wait, God is calling you to grow and expand while you're waiting. Our waiting isn't to be stagnant or slothful or discouraging or done hopelessly. Our waiting as Christians is to be filled more and more with God's grace and peace. Our waiting is to be filled with a growing knowledge of who God is and of who Christ is in us. Peter sets up the first question of our entire series here, and that's this question. How do we grow while we wait? If we are to grow while we're waiting, how do we do that? My children cannot wait to grow up. And if you have kids, this isn't news to you. If you have grandkids or you're around children, you know kids are just so excited to grow up, okay? So, like, my oldest son, he's 14 now. He'll like, he, he hit a growth spurt this year, and he's super tall, but he's not as tall as I am yet. But he will try, and he will stand up as tallest, throw his shoulders back and his head back, and he'll come up to me and go, Mom, am I taller than you yet? And be like, no, not yet, Grayson. And even my youngest son, he's eight, and he, he'll tell perfect strangers, he'll be like, yeah, when I grow up, I'm going to be the tallest person in my family. <laughs> Kids can't wait to grow up. They're looking forward to it. And they're busy growing while they wait. They don't just sit around and twiddle their thumbs while they wait. They grow. They grow in their relationships. They grow in their learning. They grow in their life experiences. They're not waiting while they grow doing nothing. They're very busy developing while they grow. In a similar way, God has given us a gift of faith 
faith that we can use to grow and develop in our knowledge of who he is as we follow Christ. Peter goes on to write in verse 3, it says, By his divine power, God has given us everything we need for living a godly life. We have received all of this by coming to know him, the one who called us to himself by means of his marvelous glory and excellence. And because of his glory and excellence, he has given us great and precious promises. These are the promises that enable you, everybody say enable, good job, enable you to share his divine nature and escape the world's corruption caused by humans' desires. In God's divine power, he's given us everything we need to live a godly life. I love what Peter uses here when he talks about God's divine power. This Greek word for power is dynamis. And you've heard that word before, right? Dynamis, dynamite. This is God's explosive, powerful, most powerful power. And he's used his power to explode his life into us while we are on this waiting journey. He has given us everything that we need to live godly lives. And now we're looking at the Greek. I want to ask you, what do you think the Greek word means for everything? It means everything, simply everything, every, absolutely everything that we need on a daily basis in our heart's desires, in our physical bodies, in the power of our lives, of our ambition and our pursuit, everything that we need to live a godly life, God has powerfully put in us through Jesus Christ. And he's given you everything you need so that way you can live life. While we're in the Greek, I want to tell you this really cool word that Peter uses for the word life. This Greek word is called zoe. And in John chapter 10, verse 10, Jesus is telling people what his purpose is as the shepherd of the sheep that he came to take care of. What Jesus' purpose is to like take care of us. Jesus says about his own purpose, he says, My purpose is to give them, you and me, a rich and satisfying life. This is the same word, Zoe life. Zoe means the fullest life possible. This is not just a scraping by kind of living. This is the fullest life possible. In other places in scripture, the the translators write it as eternal life. That means our heavenly living is available for us to live by God's dynamite power to take care of everything we need to live a godly life while we're waiting on whatever we're waiting for. So while you're waiting to find your purpose, while you're waiting on your supply, while you're waiting on medical diagnosis, while you're waiting on provision or change, through Christ and in God's power, he has given you absolutely everything that you need to live your daily life for God. This doesn't mean that life is easy while we wait. It doesn't mean that it feels like heaven on earth. We have these heavenly eternal life that started when we accept Jesus into our life. We don't wait for heaven to have that heavenly life. Our heavenly life starts as soon as we give our hearts to Christ. God gives us that life now, on earth now. And you may have woken up this morning and you're like, I don't feel like I had abundant life this morning. I feel like something died in my mouth and I need to pay this bill today and I have no idea how I'm going to pay it and I don't have food in my cupboard. How does that feel like heaven? 
Well, let me tell you is that God has given you the ability to be resilient, to trust in his provision for you, to know that he has enabled you to live powerfully for him, even in the midst of your need and of your circumstances. This means that he's given you the power to live life like Jesus lived life when he was on earth, that you have the power to know the heart of God, to experience his presence, to have relationship with God right now, that God has given you the power to participate in ministry and feel the comfort and power of the Holy Spirit at work in you and through you, changing you, changing your circumstances, and changing the communities and the families around you. God's power is at work in you to share in his sufferings that you might experience the reminder that heaven is actually the end game of what we're waiting for, and we're not waiting on our circumstances to change or go away. We are waiting on heaven as our home. And in that weight, those things fade away. And we know that we can trust God and his promises that he has poured out into our lives. Peter says, these are the promises that enable you to share in his divine nature and escape the world's corruption caused by human desires. Because God has enabled you to live a powerfully heaven-like life, abundant life here on earth, God has also enabled you to resist the world's corruption caused by human desires. A lot of times I think we think, oh, the world is going to corrupt me. The world's going to corrupt me. Friends, we corrupt ourselves all by our own selves. Right? With our own human natures, our own selfish ambition, our own, like, appetites for sin, our own lust, our own greed, our, our own nature. But God's power enables us to escape out of our human nature and submit those things to God that we can grow while we wait. Peter goes on in verse 5, he says, in view of all this, all that that we just talked about, Make every effort to respond to God's promises. We're to respond to God's promises. Supplement your faith with a generous provision of moral excellence. And moral excellence with knowledge. And knowledge with self-control. And self-control with patient endurance. And patient endurance with godliness. And godliness with brotherly affection. And brotherly affection with love for everyone. Our response to God's promises and power is to strategically grow the gift of faith that God has given to us freely through Jesus. Where children are excited to grow up, they're eventually going to stop. They're not going to just like keep on growing, which thankfully that would be kind of scary. But our hearts are different, right? Like unlike, unlike physical growth, in our spiritual growth, in our relationship with God, in our Christian life, we continue to grow. I think sometimes we think, you know, I've been following God for long enough. I think I know him enough, so I'm just going to like take a pause right now and just kind of sit down and rest. For, and there's, there's space for rest. Don't get me wrong there. But there's never a time that we stop growing in maturation with our relationship with God. The moment we stop growing in relationship with God is when we're standing in the fullness of his presence and all the things are fully known to us, what we know in part now. Because God has enabled us to grow while we wait, Peter tells us on our end to make every effort to respond to God's promises. Whose responsibility is it? to make that effort. 
It's ours. God has given us the power to respond to his promises so we can grow in our knowledge, our relationship with Jesus. I want to remind you that we're not saved by works. Peter isn't saying that we are a works based saving. Peter is actually saying that we are a faith-based works, that we start with the gift of faith that God plants in our hearts, and then we intentionally grow it from there. How many heart, uh, how many gardeners do I have in the room tonight? Yeah? Okay. I think every spring I lie to myself. Is anyone else a liar to themselves in the springtime? <laughs> I'm learning. I'm learning just to give up. <laughs> different message, different time. <laughs> but every spring I think, oh, it'd be so much fun to grow a garden this year. But when you know it, like gardening takes diligence and it takes habitual care. Like you have to be disciplined in gardening if you want any beautiful garden, if you want fruit of your labor, you want really pretty flowers. Gardening happens on purpose. You know, as much as I want to sit in my house and then walk outside my backyard and be like, oh, look at this Eden. It's so beautiful. It just happened. It doesn't happen. I walk outside my back porch and there's like those weird strangly, like, trees growing out of the grass that I never planted there. And I have to mow the grass. I mean, I cut it and then I, I have to cut it again. It's like a disciplined, habitual thing to take care of a garden, to take care of a yard. Um, now I want you to imagine that God's faith that he has given you freely is like a seed that he's planted in the garden of your heart. The Holy Spirit has tilled the soil of your heart, has softened your heart so you can know and hear the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, that he died on a cross to save you from your sin, and then he didn't stay dead. He came back to life in his own power, and we can join him again in heaven someday. That's the seed of faith that God has given you. You didn't muster that faith up yourself. You're not pretending to believe it. God has given you the faith to believe what I just said is true. That's a gift from God. So God has planted this seed of faith in the garden of your heart. And then our job as gardeners of our own heart is to intentionally grow that seed of faith. And Peter gives us a list of how we are to take care of the garden of our heart. What we're to do is to take that free gift of faith and add to it moral excellence. We're to water that seed with moral excellence. And this isn't just like a sense of morality of right and wrong for whatever fad is going on for right and wrong. This is moral excellence that comes from the heart of God because God established the law when he created things. And as the creator of all things, he has the right to tell us what is right and wrong, not the world around us. And so moral excellence causes us to say, okay, God, what do you think is right? And what do you think is wrong? I might think this is right, but if you're saying it's wrong, then I want to go this way, even though it's hard, even though I have to give something up. We are to grow and water our faith with moral excellence. We're to build our faith with that excellence. And then once we water our faith with moral excellence, we're supposed to fertilize it with knowledge and grow in our knowledge of the Lord. Because when we grow in our knowledge of the Lord, it's easier to see what is right and wrong. We grow in our knowledge of God by, by reading our Bible on a daily basis, even if it's like a, a verse a day or like if you have an app on your phone and you look at it every day diligently, it's like watering that faith every single day. 
You're to look at the word of God. You're supposed to grow in your knowledge of the Lord. This could be like godly conversations that you have with people. One of my favorite ways of growing in knowledge of God is to say, God, I don't understand this. It is okay to ask God questions because he loves it when we seek him and find Find him. He wants you to grow in a wonder of a sense of, Lord, who are you? What do you think about this? And we do that by studying the word, by having conversations with God. So once we fertilize the seed with knowledge and we water it with moral excellence, then we're going to trim it a a bit because it's going to start to, like, sprout out of the soil of our heart. And we're going to add to knowledge self-control. And self-control is like trimming those dead branches off. That, that don't really produce fruit or they're like kind of shriveling up or they're overwatered and they're turning yellow. It's important to not just know what is right and wrong, but to also practice mastering your own passions, having self-control over the things you want to do but choosing not to do them or the things you don't want to do and choosing to do them anyway because it's morally excellent for you to do this and you know this because you've grown in your knowledge. You see where it's going here? Yeah, it's a cause and effect. So instead of giving in to gluttony or sexual temptation or substance abuse or laziness, self-control calls us to run from those temptations and run to Jesus in prayer, run to other believers and say, I cannot get off my couch. I'm just stuck there. I'm so lazy. I love the reels on Facebook. (laughs) True story. (laughs) And so we grow in self-control by sharing this burden with Jesus, by being honest with ourselves, and by being honest with people that God has put in our lives. It's okay to be honest about our shortcomings. And then once you've grown in self-control, you rewater your heart with patient endurance. Because it's really one thing to say, I practice self-control. Okay, check. Now I'm going to do whatever I want, you know. You have to have endurance to continue to do right over and over and over and over again. And that takes a lot of patience and it takes a lot of endurance over time. And you know what? Once I've, like, overcome a temptation, you know what happens? There's something else there. Has anyone else experienced that? We are never done growing until heaven is our permanent shelter and home. So if you feel like you've reached that mark, I want to tell you tonight, you have some growing to do with the love of Jesus. Okay, and then once you've added patient endurance, then we're going to weed the garden of our hearts with godliness. And this is revering God. This is honoring God in the secret spaces of our life and conversations. I feel like recently with my kids getting older, There's been some attitudes and some things being said, and I've heard myself saying, this is not honoring God in our home. And as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord, so you are not allowed to say that in this house. And we want to take down things in our personal spaces that dishonor God. Because godliness, when we add godliness to our life, it's like weeding out the things from our garden that can distract us from being fruitful and unproductive for God. We do this with love, by the way, if, if you're a parent in here and you just heard what I said. <laughs> and then once we, we grow godliness in our life, we add to that brotherly affection. This is like sharing the flowers or the fruit from our garden and trimming it and putting it in a vase or sharing tomatoes with somebody if you grow tomatoes in your garden. I had a friend recently. Um, she, doesn't, she doesn't have a whole lot 
Um, but I went to her house and visited with her. And what she does have is she ha- she's planted some gorgeous flowers this year, and they're wildflowers. And, I mean, they're just breathtakingly beautiful. So I'm at her house, and she's like, Mandy, before you leave, I want to give you a bouquet. And I'm like, but ironically, her name is Mandy, too. <laughs> so I was like, Mandy, don't cut your flowers. They're gorgeous. Like, don't cut them off. I'd rather you leave them because they'll continue to be beautiful. And she's like, Mandy, the, like, they'll grow better. If I, if I trim this, they're going to grow more flowers. A lot of times we don't want to cut the things out of our life that we find beautiful because we might lose it. But God is telling us that if, if you share what you have, if you share the beauty of what he's given you and the beauty of the growth in your life with other people, you will have a more abundant supply. As you harvest, you're going to produce more fruit. As you trim, you're going to have more flower and more beauty come in your life. This is that brotherly affection. So once we grow in godliness, we could probably stay there. But if we stay in godliness, then that's going to make us a little bit self-righteous and legalistic and be like, well, I'm just better than you because I have grown in godliness. But God doesn't want us to be there. He wants us to share godliness with our brothers and sisters around us. And I love that Peter says brotherly affection. Because this word is to cherish, to cherish one another. It's more than just like, hey, how's it going? But it's like, how are you? How are you doing? How's your aunt? I heard your aunt was sick. Or, hey, you look happy today. What's happy in your life today? To cherish one another as we cherish the things in our own life. Once we grow in brotherly affection, Jesus calls us to grow in our love for everyone. This is sharing the fruit of your growth with the entire world. The word for love here is actually love feast. It paints this picture of coming together around a table and sharing joy and community with one another. Once we grow in our brotherly affection, we don't stop there. We grow in our love for everyone. And once we get to that point where we're like, okay, I love everybody, you start over again. It's this winding up process. You don't reach the top. You're like, okay, I'm done. Because remember, we're never done growing until we're in heaven. You keep nurturing and you keep pouring and you keep watering and you keep trimming. And by the power of God in you, he will give you everything you need to live that godly life. Finally, verse 8, Peter writes, The more you grow like this, the more productive and useful you will be in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But those who fail to develop in this way are short-sighted or blind, forgetting what they have, forgetting that they have been cleansed from their old sins. If you are a follower of Jesus and you want to avoid growing stagnant in your relationship with God, if you want to avoid losing the knowledge of who God is and the power that's at work within you, the power of the resurrection that calls you to new life, abundant life in the here and now, on earth, in the midst of your weight, in the midst of your need. God calls you and enables you and expects you to grow your faith and steward the fruit of your life and the beauty of your life, drawing people to know him. And what do we do while we wait on whatever we're waiting for? Well, friends, we grow. We get busy growing. And as we grow, we find I have a purpose in this season of waiting. I don't need to sit and twiddle my thumbs. I don't need to watch the beach ball of death on my Mac computer. I don't need to listen to the Jeopardy song. I have 
work to do. I have growth to do. God will take care of this need. I've talked to him about it, and he's promised that he would provide for me. He's promised that he's my healer. He's promised me that he takes all of my cares and all of my anxiety on himself because he cares for me. So while I'm waiting on his hand to move these mountains, I'm going to grow while I wait. Let's pray. Lord, we love you and thank you for your power that's at work in us. Lord, you didn't have to just, like, save us at all. You didn't have to send us Jesus, but you did because you love us. And you didn't stop there, Lord. You had the generosity to give us your divine power and your promises that enable us to follow you and grow in our knowledge of you. I thank you for Peter as he writes these words, Lord, I feel my own appetite for you and knowing you just wedded tonight. And I pray for my brothers and sisters tonight, Lord, that they would leave this room feeling hungry and thirsty to know you more, to seek you, Lord. When we wake up tomorrow morning, I pray for a fresh expectancy of your spirit. I pray for a fresh awakening of our relationship with you and our relationship with others around us. We love you, God. And I pray for anybody in this room waiting on something incredibly too heavy to bear. Lord, you are the burden bearer and we trust you and we give you those burdens and we ask, Lord, that you would give us hope in the midst of our waiting and, Lord, we ask for miracles. God, we trust your hand and and we've seen you move before and we're going to see it again. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you so much for being with us for the Life Together podcast. It's even better when we see you in person. Join us Wednesday mornings at 10 a.m. or Wednesday evenings at 7 p.m. right here at Discover Church. Find us online at discoverchurch.org.